You're listening to the Scotiabank Market Points podcast. I'm your host, Greg White. Market Points is part of the Knowledge Capital series, a collection of audio, video, and written commentary from Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets leaders designed to provide you with timely insights and analysis. The banking sector in Canada surprised the street with better than expected Q3 earnings results. But with credit fears still looming, serious uncertainty remains. On this episode of Market Points, Manny Grauman, Managing Director covering Canadian Financial Services and Global Equity Research, analyzes the banking sector's Q3 results and shares some key considerations for investors. Hi, Manny. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Great to be here, Greg. Socially distanced, of course. Of course, for the time being at least, and temporary, we all hope. Uh, you cover Canadian financial services, and we're just coming out of earnings season for, for the Canadian banks. Q3 results for core earnings per share as a whole were down 21% year over year, but that still blew past the expectations of you in the street. What, what was behind that? It's very interesting. So as you noted, year over year results uh, were down. Uh, and that's largely due to margin pressure from low rates and also deterioration in the overall credit environment. We are, after all, in a recession right now. And yet, Corey Priest was up for the for the banks that I cover. It was up 63% quarter over quarter. And uh, definitely that was better than expected, better than I expected, better than the consensus expectations uh, were indicating. And that's really due to three things that uh, largely blew past uh, forecasts. And the first one is trading. Capital markets results were very good. We knew they were going to be good, but they were even better than what we were looking for. Expenses uh, were managed a lot tighter. That was a very good news story, a lot better than anyone expected. And finally, credit, loan loss provisions. We knew that loan loss provisions would be down on a sequential basis for most banks. But again, even there, the result was actually a pleasant surprise. So all three things Really, all these three factors combined um, to deliver a beat for Q3 for the Canadian banks. And I'm sure I'll speak in more detail on some of these factors, specifically credit and expenses in particular. Yet, I think I want to make a key point here that I've been making to clients really through this earnings season is that the fact that despite this outperformance that, that I'm describing, I'm not ready yet, and I don't think the market's yet ready to go positive on the sector just given the uncertainty that is still before us, the fall and early winter are going to be quite challenging periods, definitely very uncertain periods in terms of how the COVID pandemic is going to play out and what that is going to mean for the economy. And really, all that means is, um, I, I quoted it in my uh, bank review that I just published, I quoted Michael Corleone and his famous line, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. We had a great quarter in Q3. All, all. Uh, all considered better than expected, but I think caution on the space is still warranted and a defensive positioning in terms of stock selection is still definitely much the order of the day. When we're talking about caution, uh, what is uh, your your credit picture um, look like right now for the Canadian banks? Which which banks are, are better positioned than others? So when we talk about credit, I think we have to consider a few different points. First of all, as I mentioned early on, we are in a recession. We're just coming out of a lockdown, an unprecedented period in the global economy. So overall, you'd say that the situation is, is not too good. But that said, loan loss accounting has a forward-looking bent to it. And what that means is that even though we're not seeing 
loan losses hit right now in any significant way. And Q3 clearly showed that it was a relatively benign quarter once again in terms of impairments, in terms of write downs. Uh, even though that's the case, the banks have been forced, the accounting rules forced them, as always, to get ahead of the problem. So we've seen the banks take big loan loss provisions, mostly in Q2, although Scotiabank, which we don't officially cover, actually uh, saw the peak in loan loss provisions in Q3. Uh, but basically, all the banks have been uh, taking loan loss reserves, basically bulking up for the eventual losses that are, are yet to come. What that means is that unless we get another significant wave of COVID that pushes us into another lockdown phase, likely we've seen the worst in terms of the income statement impact of the credit cycle. But again, the losses are still to come and all the banks have basically told us that those losses will happen in 2021. There's some debate exactly in terms of timing, but again, that's still to come. In terms of which banks are best positioned from a credit perspective, certainly we have to take into account business mix and certainly we have to take into account reserving levels. I'd say that the market in particular, and, and I would agree, feels best about Royal Bank and National. And those really are, we call them the key defensive names in the sector right now. Those are the two stocks that are trading at the biggest premium. Uh, to the group on a price-to-book basis. So the market's feeling really good about Royal and National on a relative basis, and certainly most worried still about BMO. And, and the worry at BMO is really about their commercial loan exposure, especially in the U.S. I think Q3 was a positive quarter for BMO. They took additional uh, provisions. They increased their reserves for, for uh, eventual loan losses. And so the picture definitely... Uh, turned more positive for BMO in Q3, but nevertheless, I would tend to agree uh, with the market view here that that is still the one name that probably is most concerning for the, for the market as we, we look forward and to see how, uh, how this credit cycle will play out. Uh, what about the bank's deferral programs? Have, have these deferral programs worked? And what happens when, when most of these deferrals expire over the coming months? First off, I would make the point that yes, deferrals worked, and I think there's general consensus about that. Second point, and this is really coming from the banks themselves, all the banks basically made this point. I think it's important for listeners to understand that the bulk of the deferrals actually went to clients that didn't really need those deferrals. And so really you can think of deferrals as more of an insurance product in some sense rather than a sign of trouble. And I think that's important because as the market is looking forward into the fall and the market knows that these deferrals, the bulk of these deferrals that the Canadian banks gave their clients are rolling off, there is definitely still a lingering worry about what is called a deferral cliff. Something bad potentially could happen as these deferrals roll off. But all the banks are effectively telling us that no, for the majority of cases, the Deferrals went to accounts, went to individuals and businesses that are actually remaining current on their payments, that are actually not in a very stressed position, but just took these deferrals because it was offered. And, uh, and especially early on in the, in the pandemic, the outlook was even more uncertain than it is now. So it's always a good idea when you don't really know what's ahead to, to take uh, something like this when it's offered, to take this kind of... Uh, uh, um, insurance policy effectively. 
and and so I think that's uh, a key point here, and um, and so that's really the tension right now uh, in the market. The street investors are still cautious about what will happen when these deferrals roll off. But I think when the banks have, as a group, spoken about deferrals, and there's really no exception here, the underlying message that they're trying to deliver to 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 the market really is that there's not that much to worry about. And it's not to say that there won't be impairments and there won't be losses from these deferrals when they roll off. No bank is naive to think that that won't happen. It's just a matter of scale. And the key point uh, really from the banks is that this is not gonna be a huge problem that is gonna sink the sector uh, when, it finally, uh, when it finally comes down to making the, uh, the, the, the deferral uh, uh, payments um, uh, that were that were uh, forgiven uh, for for so many months now. Has there been any talk? Should there be a, a second wave about the bank's ability to um, to extend these deferral programs? Well, in fact, what we heard from OSFI just a few days ago was that the uh, beneficial capital treatment of these deferrals is actually going to be effectively rolled off right away. So. That lessens the incentive of banks to continue to provide these deferrals. Um, and I think that is all to say, OSFI is basically acknowledging that, again, these deferral programs work and that their utility right now uh, is, is relatively small. The banks have told us that new applications for deferrals are down very, very dramatically from the height of the crisis. So again, in some sense, this program worked. It's probably not needed right now um, in any meaningful way. If COVID again strikes back and we get a, a, a second wave, if we get a, if we get a situation that uh, starts to uh, really require this uh, tool effectively to, to come back, I think it's not that hard. We have experience now in, in how to roll something like this out. And the regulator effectively has said as much that this is, this is basically wrapping up for now, but it's always something in the toolkit that can be brought back if needed. What about um, concerns over over capital? How do, how do bank capital ratios look right now and and where do you think they're they're headed? Do investors have to worry? So capital was a good news story in Q3. We uh, went into Q2 reporting back in late May with a lot of concern about capital. And when I say we, I mean the market did uh, rightly or wrongly, the market was very worried about capital, about questions of dividend sustainability. Coming out of Q2, those fears were already significantly uh, attenuated. Those those fears really were uh, really became a lot less uh, um, dramatic or important. Coming into Q3, um, that uh, that message of of capital strength uh, only continued. All the banks effectively saw a very strong uh, uplift in their capital ratios. There was really only one bank, National Bank, that didn't see a strong uh, a sequential move higher. For the group as a whole, uh, well, if you think of the, the big six banks, their key capital ratio, the CT1 ratio that we always like to quote, um, ended the quarter at 11.8%, and that was up 64 basis points from Q2, so a nice lift, and that was really helped by a 4% sequential reduction in risk-weighted assets. So coming out of Q3, capital really was a good news story. And I think 
to the extent that it already wasn't a major issue anymore for investors, it became even less of an issue uh, coming out of this last reporting season. And in fact, I think we could turn the, the tables on this uh, question and say, it's not so much that we have questions about a lack of capital in the Canadian banking sector right now. I think the real question that we'll start to be talking about or trying to answer is, the banks have too much capital, and what do they do with that excess capital? If excess capital is is an issue, what do you see uh, as potential outlets for for deployment of that capital? Well, the complicating factor when we talk about uh, deployment of excess capital is that OSFI in early March told the banks that they couldn't do any more buybacks and that they couldn't increase their dividends. And... OSFI gave no timeline for when that prohibition would change, but it's, a, it's, a, it's in effect right now. So the other options that banks have are investing uh, in their current businesses, basically uh, organic uh, growth uh, opportunities, or actually going out and going shopping and doing M&A. And uh, I'd say, by and large, most banks uh, are not interested in M&A right now. For various reasons, I would say the only real exception is probably TD. That's the one bank that's probably talked most about uh, M&A. But again, it, there's nothing imminent here. And there's definitely not the suggestion that uh, something is, is coming. Um, but uh, M&A is definitely a, an option um, for the banks. But it, it's not overall the preferred uh, area of, of capital deployment right now. Expense management was a good news story for Q3. Uh, what kind of effect does that have on your outlook going forward? Expenses definitely was a good news story in Q3. Uh, and management teams are clearly pointing to the expense story as being very relevant for the outlook going forward, especially in fiscal 2021. I think it's really a reflection of a tough environment for revenue growth. And that's not new for the Canadian banks in some way or another, they've been operating in a tough or a tougher revenue environment for, for a number of years now, and certainly expenses have been in focus. Uh, the expense story at the beginning of the pandemic kind of took, took a backseat to issues about credit and capital, and there were, there were bigger problems, bigger fish to fry. Um, so we didn't talk a lot about expenses or didn't talk about expenses at all in Q2, for example, but in Q3, the, the expense talk definitely starts to heat up. And again, it's not as if we're in um, a world here that has put the pandemic totally behind us. Um, but the fact that we're starting to talk about expense management, again, I think definitely is a good sign. And it's a, it's a, it's a baby step or a step in the right direction. And, uh, and I think, again, this will be an important topic, maybe the most important topic especially once we are finally able to put the pandemic behind us. You've been writing extensively about your barbell approach to valuation. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that um, is really the fact that investors need to approach the sector from two different angles. First and foremost, as I talked to before, I think defense is still the best offense, meaning we haven't put the pandemic behind us we're entering a very tricky period, I call a maximum uncertainty period, the fall and early winter, where we'll see how COVID evolves, especially with back to school. We'll see how the economy reacts. We'll see how the recovery progresses. And there's definitely key risks there. 
So first and foremost, investors need to stay with the names that have worked, that have been the most defensive, and those are Royal and National. Um, but at the same time, we also have to acknowledge, we have to know what we don't know. And we, we don't really know what the future holds here, but we can't rule out the fact that the recovery could be actually smoother than what we expect. And we can't rule out the fact that certainly there could be a shift in sentiment uh, for the banks much quicker than what any of us uh, uh, thinks. So to me, one end of the barbell has to be defense and one end of the barbell definitely has to be at least one name that gives you a little bit more upside uh, to a better than expected uh, reality. And in my view, that one name that stands out about all the other underdogs in the space right now is CIBC. And so CIBC is the third name that I would put together with those two defensive names, Royal and National. And, and that would be the other end of the barbell. And CIBC is interesting for a number of uh, reasons. One, it is a name that is starting to see some momentum in its domestic mortgage business after some challenges over the last few quarters. So it has that going for it. Overall, over the years, CIBC has been criticized for being too much uh, a bank that is reliant on domestic mortgages, but suddenly that is actually becoming a positive. The reality is, is that Domestic mortgages are uh, very, very attractive from a risk point of view, especially in this kind of environment where we didn't really talk about it. But although we have a pandemic going on, the mortgage market in, in Canada, especially in, in the major cities in Canada, is actually starting to really heat up. So that is uh, working in CIBC's favor. Also, mortgages by their nature are secured loan products. You tend to not take losses on mortgages. Um, uh, in Canada, loss rates are in the single-digit, low single-digit basis point. So that's working in CIBC's favor. The other thing is that CIBC has been a perennial underdog for a very long time. Expectations for this bank are very low. But now that we're in a credit cycle, the bank has a chance to prove itself. And the bank has been, in bank circles, we like to say CIBC has always been the bank that's most likely to run into sharp objects whenever there is an issue in the Canadian bank sector. Historically, more often than not, CIBC has been at the center of that. But now we have a credit cycle where CIBC actually looks like it can, it can perform actually quite well. And so this is an important catalyst, and I think that uh, it's, it's a key catalyst in, in, in my view. And that, in particular, makes CIBC uh, a, a potential big winner uh, over the next uh, few months. That was Manny Grauman, Managing Director, Canadian Financial Services and Global Equity Research at Scotiabank. You can now find Market Points on Apple Podcasts. Don't miss an opportunity to hear from industry thought leaders. Remember to click subscribe. And if you've been enjoying Market Points, please be sure to rate and review. You can also find more thought-leading content from Scotiabank on our website at gbm.scotiabank.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at ScotiabankGBM as well as our LinkedIn showcase page under Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets. Please refer to our legal disclosures on our website. I'm your host, Greg White, and thanks for listening.